I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Analyzing Everton with me, David Hughes, and of course, Josh Williams. Um, we haven't recorded the show in a little while now, uh, which is pretty normal, isn't it? <laughs> um, you know, the semi regular that we do them, but now feels like a really good time to just drop in and record a short show, just looking at, at Everton uh, as things stand. Obviously, it's been a good few weeks for them. Uh, so we'll we'll have a, a general look at that. Uh, we'll have a look at Wolves as well. Annoyingly, we won't be previewing Aston Villa because uh, we're recording on Thursday. It's just been announced that that game is being postponed. Uh, we might have a quick chat on that because it's obviously the second time it's happened, um, which is annoying. But before we uh, before we crack on, Josh, a long time no speak for the people who listen to this show. How are you? Doing okay, yeah. I think this is the uh, the first one of twenty twenty one, isn't it? It is correct, yeah. Yeah, one of uh, one of three <laughs> that we put in actually recording. Yeah, that's it. We uh, as we always say, we might we might ramp them up. And again, I'll 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 say like a hello to the people who have messaged me uh, over these past few weeks, asking when the next one is. You know, do you want to do want to listen to the next one? Want to hear how things are going with the team behind the scenes and and all that? Well. Um, here it is now, and the idea is we'll try and maybe introduce them bi-weekly going forward. Um, but enough of that. Anyway, let's crack on with the show. Um, at the time of recording, Everton are fifth in the table. I'm not sure if that can change tonight with the fixtures. I haven't, had a, I haven't really had a good look. But I think last time we were on, Josh, Everton were in the midst of a fairly unremarkable run of results. Um, I think it was around maybe... Uh, yeah, it was just before the Chelsea game, I think. So we'd had a uh, 1-1 draw with Burnley, a defeat at home to Leeds. There was a victory at Fulham, but there was a poor second half in that game and, and three defeats before that. So things didn't look that great last time we spoke, Josh. Obviously, fast forward now, Evan have, have won five of the previous six league matches. Uh, there was a win in the FA Cup as well and a 2-0 defeat to United in the League Cup semi-quarter-final, uh, I should say. But on the whole, things are looking fairly positive again, aren't they, from an Everton point of view? Yeah, it's changed quite a bit, to be honest. Funnily enough, though, you know, the way this we are supposed to be looking at performances as opposed to you know solely results on this podcast. And if you actually look at the performances, I don't really think that much has changed. Um, I think... Everton is still competing to a fairly similar level. I don't think they're really putting games beyond reasonable doubt in terms of, you know, doing everything you need. It, it takes to win and, and something mad would have to go wrong to lose or whatever. Uh, but now it just it just feels as though um, Everton are benefiting from a, a positive flip of the coin in a way. I, I don't think Everton's performances throughout the season have fluctuated too much. Um, but as I said, now it just seems to be 
uh, getting the rubber to green a little bit, if, if you like. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I do. Um, and we'll come on to some numbers shortly. But even if you just look purely at the results, you know, basically from Leeds onwards, um, all but one game, win or lose, in the league has been settled by a, a one-goal margin. You know, obviously Leeds was a 1-0 defeat. Um, the Burnley was obviously a 1-1 draw. Then you've got 1-0 win against Chelsea. Uh, there was a 2-0 victory at Leicester. But then it was 2-1 against Arsenal, 1-0 against Sheffield United, West Ham won 1-0, uh, and then obviously Everton won 2-1 against Wolves. So it is really, you know, tight matches that are being settled by moments, I guess, you know, by one team taking the chances and the other team not. Um, and, you know, it goes without saying, it's, it's a much better feeling to be on the on the positive side of those results. But that is something we're, we're flagging, isn't it? That it's... Uh, it has at times kind of been really close encounters. Uh, you know, the Wolves one was that. We'll, we'll talk about Wolves shortly. But that was a tight game that, you know, could have really gone either way and either side could have, wouldn't have had any, or well, they wouldn't have any, had, had any grounds for complaints. Um, but obviously, Evan come out on top. Um, on this point, I, it, it's probably worth looking at the numbers then. Um We've used Understack because it's a little bit better at isolating periods. Basically, from uh, over the last six Premier League games, um, Everton's expected points, Josh, 4.75, which, you know, bear in mind, they've accumulated 12. They've, uh, they've got a non-penalty XG of 3.42, which is the 17th lowest in the league. Um, but the positive is the non-penalty XG against 4.63, fifth highest. So it's one of them where the you know the results have looked good, but based on those numbers at least, it, it kind of feels like it's not very reflective. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to be the, uh, the bearer of bad news, but th- this is the kind of thing that usually will, will come back to bite you eventually. I mean, I, I think getting five wins out of six... In the way Everton have, in a lot of ways, you you could argue it's it's not really sustainable. Um, hence why some people say things like you know expect goals will always come back eventually, sort of thing. If you're overperforming for a certain period, Everton do seem to be overperforming in in, in one or two areas at the minute, specifically in attack. Um, but don't get me wrong, I think say some of the numbers in comparison to the performances, I do think Everton are doing one or two little things to deliver results without specifically having a performance to go with it. Namely, set pieces, really. Um, mm. yeah, I'm sure you've got the numbers at hand to that, but Everton seem to be benefiting quite a bit from set pieces. Obviously, Michael Keane scored re- recently, and you've got Lucas Dean back on the side now. Uh, Calvert-Lewin's been good in the air all season. Yeah, he mean his physical presence and stuff like that. So it, it and I think uh, Ancelotti's is it his son who, who who works on that sort of thing. Yeah, David. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you look at Everton's numbers in attack, I think they're overperforming according to Statsbomb by five point four goals. Um, that's the third most in the league, behind only Spurs and Southampton. And I think, interestingly, if you look at the way Spurs and Southampton are getting their goals, it is vaguely similar in terms of, you could argue it's unsustainable, but you could argue it's not at the same time. Like Southampton, for example, they're overperforming 
by such an extent, largely because um, they're also benefiting from set pieces, you know, Yannick Vestergaard and players like that. And they're benefiting from scoring from direct free kicks. Would But then once you consider how good Vestergaard is in the air, how good Ward Prowse is from free kicks, how good Ward Prowse's deliveries are from corners, then you can argue a little bit, you know, it's it's overperformance, but it's it's overperformance that is almost in a way likely to continue. And if you look at Spurs as well, um, you know, Spurs are attacking in a way that you could argue again is unsustainable. But the way Son Young Min in, in particular uses these counter attacks every fifteen minutes and puts them away more often than not. Again, it's it, it's unsustainable slash sustainable. There's, there's a little bit of a little bit of a split there, but I do think Everton are overperforming quite a bit. Um, but I think I guess the point that I'm getting at is, in, in some departments, it's silently okay and, and almost to be expected. If, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I do totally. Um, I think some of it certainly the attacking numbers look look low, but then some of that is as a consequence of the tactics deployed, and that's important to remember. You know, obviously you've come up against Chelsea, Leicester City, Arsenal. Uh, then you've got who else have we got in there? Well, I mean they're the main ones in terms of top sides. Um, and what, what you've basically done is, is you've approached the game with a tactic of giving them the ball. Uh, you know, against Chelsea, it was Everton at 29%. Leicester was 39 Arsenal 43 You know, give them the ball, sit in a compact shape and make yourself difficult to break down. As a consequence, you're going to have, you know, less influence and less attacking intent, which will inevitably impact your numbers in that regard. Um and the the opposition will usually create more, but often it can. It, if you actually look at the the xG numbers against for those games I've, I've just mentioned there, you know, but, uh, Chelsea obviously they had seventy one percent possession, and they generated an xG of uh, 0.8 according to Statsbomb, which is low, isn't it? Really, uh, you know, you, you'd be happy with that against Chelsea. Leicester it was 0.7, uh, and Arsenal was. The highest of that little sequence of 1.4, but again, Josh, 1.4 isn't, you know, isn't a huge amount. Is it? You, you may expect to concede a goal, which Everton did. Um, but two things to consider: one, you know, 1.4 isn't a lot, but two, that, a lot of that was made up by the penalty as well. Conceded the penalty in that game, so it has kind of been a tactic that's worked, and it's it's probably the thing that's consequently impacted attacking numbers slightly. Yeah, uh, just a little bit of a note that I should probably add. There's currently drilling getting done in my house, so if you hear any loud noises, uh, it's not me. Because <laughs> it's going to keep happening, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just just on those numbers, I think um, I, I look, one of the reasons I mentioned about the whole regression thing is because if you look at Evans' numbers in terms of expected goals in the past few games, there's just very little in them. Um, like if you look at the Wolves game, there was 0.4 in that. In Wolves' favour. Uh, the West Ham one was a little bit different, but that was one they lost anyway. And then the Sheffield United one, he was 0.5 in that one. 0.6 in the Arsenal win. In Arsenal's favour as well, that, that was. Um, 0.5 in the Leicester win. 0.5 in the Chelsea win. So 
basically 0.5 of an expected goals is, is not a great deal. Um, mm. And more often than not, if if the the expected goals is that tight, um, you know, you, you, it's going to be a flip of a coin as to who wins the game, unless you can come out with a clever little set piece sort of thing, which Everton do yeah. seem to be doing. Um, yeah. So it, it's why I mentioned. I think it's important with this, you know, the nature of this podcast to mention, despite the fact that we want Everton to do well, we, have, we do have to mention that some form of regression has to be expected a little bit there. Um. Mm. Yeah, but then as you, as you mentioned about you know game state is a massive impact on a uh, on performance numbers. So the fact that you've just mentioned there that Everton have soaked pressure for large periods, sat on leads, um, counter attacked. Obviously they've had a few games without Hamas Rodriguez. Now now a game without Calvert Lewin and Richarlison. So um, yeah, it's just adjusting based on the match scenario, I suppose. But in terms of numbers, it doesn't make Everton look particularly great. Um, mm. Obviously. In terms of the results, it does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've, you've answered it there. I was going to say, would you be worried from um, from an attacking point of view when in that period Everton have ranked you know seventeenth for non penalty expected goals? Uh, but I think you summarised it really well. You know, there's there's a lot of moving parts to consider. I think in this spell in particular, um, tactics were key. You know, they did they did influence it as did the kind of how the game planned out the game narrative, you know, taking leads and obviously that makes you sit in a little bit more. You don't need to overcommit in attacks. You can kind of almost pick and choose when. And it has been a successful tactic to an extent because you know, those defensive numbers are much improved to what they were at the start of the season. Um, you know, that, that, that ranking fifth in that period for non-penalty expected goals against. Uh, if you actually look at, you know, it, we've talked about it on here, but they haven't been through a spell from around September to October, where you're just conceding minimum two goals a game. Obviously, you're giving yourself an uphill task of having to score three times to, to get three points. But, you know, since, uh, basically since Fulham, um, I'm trying to, I'm looking for the results now, and yet, but take, take out the United one-off cup game. Evan haven't conceded more than a, a single goal in a match since Fulham away in mid-November which is a massive improvement and the underlying numbers support that as well. So maybe it has been a case of having to, you know, almost damage those attacking, those impressive attacking numbers earlier in the season, bring them down to focus on solidifying the defence. And at the very least, you know, that, that's worked against some good attacking sides as well, by the way. It's not like Evan have played Sheffield United six times on the run. Or Newcastle, you know, there's some good teams you play who who face teams sitting in compact shapes a lot. Um, but the, the, this focus on basically being destructors, you know, I, mean, I remember reading Ancelotti's book. He talked about how it's easy as a team to be destructive rather than creative. Um, and it, I felt like you've seen that a little bit with Evan when they've kind of gone gone back to basics a little bit and just made themselves very difficult to break down doing well and breaking down good sides, attacking, uh, and then just trying to take opportunities when they've come, and, and that's what they've done, isn't it? Yeah, one thing to add on that, actually, is Everton have still got the um, the best expected goals per shot in the league. Um, so I suppose that offers a bit of a further insight into Everton kind of being quiet for large periods, not creating an awful lot. But when they do, <clears throat> when they do, you know, they're genuinely quite close to goal, genuinely generally uh, tap-ins sometimes, uh, certainly mm. earlier in the season. 
I think we mentioned that about five or so games in that Everton weren't shooting a great deal, but when they were shooting, they were high quality opportunities. And you know, 17 games in now, that's still the case. Everton, the top of the league, joint with Liverpool, but I think slightly, slightly ahead in terms of like mm. really granular numbers for, mm. for expected goals per shot. So, you know, that, that bodes well. Yeah. I mean, maybe we should move on to Wolves because from from the conversation we've had so far, it kind of feel like feels like that that game and how it played out almost epitomises Everton currently. You know, it was a it was a tight match that you could argue could have gone either way. Um, in terms of XG, I think Wolves posted one uh, and Everton point six. Let me just double check that. Yeah, that's right. So. Balls one, Everton zero point six. So you know, there's not a lot, lot in it there. Both teams had the same number of shots on target, uh, but Wolves had more shots in total. I think. Let me just double check how much they had. Yeah, so they had twelve shots on total compared to Everton's five. But as I said, both teams had the same number of tar- on target, and it does kind of feel like the the accumulation of Wolves having that little bit more in terms of the XG was more just because they attempted more speculative efforts from distance. I don't know if you've got the shot map open, Josh, uh, but both teams had virtually the same amount of shots in the box. Uh, it just Wolves seems to have a, a few more from distance, which it, you know tends to happen when you've got Ruben Neves in the team. Um, yeah, so it was, it, it was. Go on, sorry. I was going to say, I'm just getting it up now to have a look at it. Um, surprisingly, surprisingly, Ruben Neves did score, and it was inside the box. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is really, really uncharacteristic. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, but I think generally, Wolves had one or two, three, four, five shots from outside the area. Which, in fact, no six. Which you can, you can, in a way, most of the time, just kind of can cancel them out. You, you know, you want shots in the box at the end of the day. Mm. And looking at the shots in the box, if you isolate those. Wolves have one or two more, but looking at those attempts there, as I said, it can kind of go either way based on those. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no big chances, um, you know, no, no expected goals values there of of above, probably not none above even point two to be honest. Well, the Nevers mm-hmm. one, yeah, so none above point three, let's say. Yeah. Um, so it kind of does become a flip of a coin, and you're more likely to win those flips of a coin if you have. A little set piece ploy lined up, or or something like that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going on to the set pieces because they already they've, they've been a theme. Um, but just before we do, it was it was really interesting team selection actually because it was like a a back to like four four two um, with James and James Rodriguez and uh, Sigurdsson up top, which looks like. <laughs> Looks bad, doesn't it, as an attacking duo, really? Not not because I think both are good technical players, certainly with Rodriguez, but it looks like it'd be a major issue. But I think the way Rodriguez in particular played, it, it just seemed to... I don't know if it worked is the right case, but it did the job, at least, when you've got no Calvert-Lewin. Um, and I thought, especially on that right, the way James was floating around the pitch, you know, switching play, Whilst the Wobie was on that side, still having penetration, uh, I think it was just really good. And Ancelotti was getting a lot of stick before then, but I do think he's just a very clever tactician. Like he just, it doesn't always come off, but afterwards you can see why he's made these decisions. And as I said, I thought Hammers and a Wobie as well. Who do you remember, Josh, that we talked a lot about and bigged them up on? He didn't really do much for us, did he, in his first year at Wobie? And a lot of people were writing them off, but. 
uh, I think I think now people start to see why why we like him. Yeah, he's an interesting one more because uh, <clears throat> I've always been I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say a fan, but I've always thought he's got specific skills you can, you can use, and I think those skills have become more apparent since he was kind of moved away from the final third. Because I think in the final third, I've, I've always had the perspective that if you are a player who's predominantly based in the final third, you have to have an element of output about you in terms of delivering just goals and assists. You you have to do it. If you're a final third player and you're not doing that, something's wrong. And I think that's why the likes of Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, um, maybe William, just players like that who are kind of, in a way, supposedly attackers, but they mm. don't really offer much in that regard. And I think they generally cope better when they drop deeper. And Iwobi has always been kind of a um, a progressive type player, moving the ball forward and stuff. And he's now showing that <clears throat> that he's able to do that mm. because he's playing in deeper areas. So he's got more mm. of the more of the pitch to advance advance up in a way. Um, but yeah, in terms of the team, I was I was baffled by the team when I seen it. I must be honest, I, I, I couldn't figure out who was playing where. And I thought to myself, to be honest, I thought it might have went a similar way. To um, was it Newcastle away? Newcastle, it was Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. Ancelotti seemed to play some form of Christmas tree formation then, and um, I felt this was similar in terms of what we mentioned. I think on the last pod when we said when maybe the cards are stacked in a way against Ancelotti, and he's got one or two of his regulars out, he does just kind of field his best eleven players as opposed mm-hmm. to. Finding a specific uh, tactic that'll that that'll work um, with players complementing each other, he'll just kind of field his best eleven players. And I thought this was another one of them in a way. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the difference, as you said, there that one of the differences between the Newcastle game and this one, I don't think Hammers played did he in the Newcastle game. I think Hammers was out. Yeah, he was out. Yeah. Um, so you know, you just had to play with a bit of quality there, and obviously this time Everton scored first, and I think it was it was interesting the way well we scored that goal because he's he's out wide and he he, he plays inwards and he, he he very he instantly demonstrates a desire to just drive towards the box almost like it's a um, it's been a clear instruction from Ancelotti beforehand that yeah. because we are playing a striker. You know, get in the box no matter what your position is, sort of thing. Just get in the box when the ball moves forward, and it looked mm. like that was what Iwobi was doing. And obviously, ended up getting a goal out of it. So it's good observation that actually because I had a look at the um, the pass map for the game, uh, which obviously includes that average formation, uh, average positions on the pitch as well, and both Iwobi and Dinye on the on the flanks were more advanced across the course of the game than you know the two. Supposedly two forwards, uh, Hamez and, and Sigurdsson, uh, which does maybe indicate that he Ancelotti had looked at is they'd be you know a bit of a focal point in terms of dropping deeper, but it'd be those runs in behind from the the kind of good wide forwards or those runs from those wide positions into central areas that would that would be key, and obviously it worked perfectly for the for the first goal. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I just want to quickly touch about on Rodriguez because he does feel like he's a difference maker. And I thought it a few times now in this game particularly. I just he is literally head and shoulders above anyone on the pitch. I think at times when he comes up against, there's not many players. I think you kind of match him and what he can produce. Like you know, I'm just he had 59 pass attempts uh, in the game and only the two centre backs for Everton had more. And you know he's meant to be a forward player. In, on, in the game, Josh, and he's had he's had he's made fifty nine passes, and he just pops up everywhere. And I think he's just so difficult to um, to try and mark and track as the opposition. Uh, I think he's his movements exquisite, and he's he, 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 he can he can see the play. You know, he's got great vision, and he can execute it as well. And I do wonder whether some of the team selection was kind of to almost baffle. Wolves in those, you know, opening 20, 30 minutes. I've, I've seen Jürgen Klopp do this a couple of times where um, he's kind of tried to ca- catch opposition out. I think he tried to do it this season against Man City. You know, for the first 30 minutes, Liverpool were really on top and he, the way he, he changed things in that game. I can't remember precisely what he did. Now, I just wonder whether uh, Ancelotti kept his cards close to his chest and did that, knowing that, you know, Evan could potentially get on top early whilst Wolves were trying to almost configure where they were playing and how to kind of nullify Everton's threats. And you'd have to say, considering they scored quite early on, it probably worked. The camera panned to Nuno a few times in the Wolves' dugout and you could see him and his assistant, you know, signal and point and trying to work out what Everton were doing uh, in terms of the setup. Uh, and I just thought it was it was maybe, that was maybe key in kind of catching them cold and getting that getting that early goal. Uh, the only frustrating thing is, is that Obviously, they, they, they pulled one back fairly soon after. Uh, Nuno was probably me before the game, to be honest. <laughs> In terms of just <laughs> looking at the team and trying to work out who was playing where and stuff. And, um, but yeah, it, it can work in your favour. Like I think, you, you know, you mentioned Jürgen Klopp there. He, he used a 4-4-2 away at the Etihad, which he hasn't done before. And I think in certain games this season when Liverpool have faced a man-marked system, like against Atalanta or against Leeds, Players have just rotated a lot more because it confuses a man marking system. I think if you use Atalanta as a good example, Klopp used Jota in that game as opposed to Firmino. And the front three just kind of rotated consistently throughout the game just to baffle the man marking system where you usually pick up on one player and stick with them for the whole game. And I don't think Wolves specifically use man marking usually, um, at least not completely. Um, but it, it, it can have that effect. It can it can baffle you. And I think just on Hamas Rodriguez, you know, but that's one thing we've been mentioning all season, really, on this podcast. Just you know, the value that he's had that he's had on the pitch. He just he just does things that matter um, in terms of getting over the line. He reminds me a little bit of Bruno Fernandes in terms of a the impact he's had on Everton compared to the impact Fernandes has had on United. But b specifically the way in which both players use the ball. They just they, 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 they always want to play some sort of pass that matters. They aren't interested in the safe option. They take risks on the ball. 
Um, they spot openings, and not only have to spot on the openings, they, they have the quality on the ball to execute and, and deliver through those openings as well. So, yeah, w- without him in the team, Everton are a different team, similar to how United are a different team without Bruno. Um, mm. And, you know, the, the, the more you can keep this player fit, like I think we mentioned earlier in the season, at the very, very start, when, I, when we were speaking about the whole, you know, my take on Everton's goal difference and where they're going to finish in the table and stuff like that. I think Everton finished last season something like minus 12. And I think I remember saying, if you can keep Hamas fit for the whole of the season, he could make up that 12 almost on his own and get Everton back to a, a level goal difference. Um, obviously, he's had some injury issues lately. But as, it, it, as I said, if he, can, if he can be kept fit throughout the rest of the campaign, still another 50% of the season to go, really. Mm. He, he is a difference maker. On that point, Josh, it's interesting to note, obviously we'll only come up to halfway through, but Everton are on plus seven goal difference at the moment, um, which is a big leap, isn't it, really, in comparison to last season? Yeah, a um, little bit surprising, to be honest. Mm. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I've looked at the, um, the expected goal difference, um, which paints a little bit of a different story. I think Everton's expected goal difference, which, again, highlights the... Um, the overperformance thing, Everton a plus 0.4, so the virtually on level goal difference when it comes to performances, but getting over the line with, as I've said a few times now, set pieces and things like that, they're on plus seven, which bodes well. I think last season, Arsenal finished eighth with a goal difference of, I think it might have been plus eight. So, um, you know, if Everton can stay in and around this, in and around, especially in the plus side, but in and around the plus 10 type stuff. It bodes well for where they're going to finish at the end of the season. Mm. Well, let's let's talk about set pieces then because obviously proved decisive in this Wolves game. And now Everton have got nine set-piece goals this season, which is the, the joint highest in the Premier League along with Southampton, who we, who we mentioned earlier. Um, now, we've spoken about set pieces a lot Um and it felt like for a long time, certainly when we started in these roles, it felt like set pieces were still fairly undervalued. Um, oh, I feel like during that, the course of our time in, in this role, though, people started to take them a lot a lot more serious. And even at elite level, you're seeing a lot more clubs investing in them. You know, Liverpool have done some good work on them over the last few years. Man City hired like a set-piece coach a, a summer or two ago specifically, you know, to, to improve them in this department. Um, it does feel like the value now, it felt like Everton were, weren't really doing, making making that, you know, that much use of them under the likes of Silver and stuff. But since Ancelotti's come in, they've been a big part of the game. And as I said, they've they got the joint tie so far this season. It makes sense because you've got really good dead ball Specialist, if you Everton are probably gifted with three, you you'd put up there. Uh, obviously, I'm not saying every single ball is perfect, but you got James Rodriguez, Luca Digne, and uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson, all who, who are threats from set pieces in terms of the ball deliveries. Um, and if you actually just think of this season, how many points have been won or rescued on set pieces alone. Um, it does explain a lot of maybe that difference in terms of the expected numbers because the you know headed goals, set piece goals don't tend to um, carry much value in terms of the expected metrics. But um, 
they can be converted if you if you do good routines and you make and you make use of them, can't they? Yeah, I mean you just mentioned there about the takers that Everton have got, you know, in Sigurdsson, Rodriguez and Digne. The, the people getting on the end of those deliveries as well are also above average, in my opinion, in terms of heading mm. the ball. So if you look at Richarlison in the air, Casal Lewin in the air, Gary Mina, who's not maybe the best in the air, but is already just tall enough to be a problem. And then Michael Keane, good in the air. So Everton do have kind of the perfect makeup, in a way, to be a problem from set pieces. And if you look at, you know, I mentioned Southampton earlier. Aston Villa, I think another team you can probably put in that bag. Just teams who have profited from set pieces this season. And at the end of the day, it, it is really difficult to every single week do enough to be better than the opposition performance wise. You know, to, mm. to, to dominate your opposing team every week to the extent that you're taking ideally, you know, double the amount of shots that they are in better locations and you see more of the ball and all that sort of stuff. Only the best teams can really do that. And I think, mm. you know, the, the more the performances come together from both teams and, and it's kind of a level playing field, the, the more these set pieces will decide results for those teams. You know, the mm. teams that are fighting to get into Europe and stuff like that, those teams that are trying to find an edge, if you like. Because, mm. as I said, it's difficult at that level to really dominate every opposing team you face. And ever mm. making use of these set pieces... It's 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 going to deliver results over the course of the season, and it's doing it now. Mm. And if they keep doing it, you know, who knows what it can lead to in terms of the points total. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's such a competitive division, and um, if you are going to try and, you know, as we've already pointed out, looking at the underlying numbers, you know, these games, these recent games, but really a lot of the season in general, they've kind of they have kind of been on a you know on the flip of a coin and they've been really tight and they could swing either way. Um, you, If you want to think of a, a contrast of how he can go against you, think of Marco Silva's time in Everton. You know, Everton were really poor at defending set pieces. Um, and as a result, games that were finally balanced were going, were going against them. You know, they were, I'm trying to think of a few examples. It was barely away uh, if I remember correctly, where last season it was a bit of a nil-nil. Uh, well, it was nil-nil, nothing really between the two sides. Everton can see the really cheap set-piece and lose the game. Uh, there was Bournemouth in there. There was, there was a ton of games where just conceding from set-pieces and it was the deciding games. You know, now Everton have kind of flipped the coin. They've got better at defending them. And now they're, you know, they're really good at attacking from them. And it Wolves another good example this season, ironically. You know, I, I'd actually said just before that game, I, I, I was a little bit apprehensive about how Everton were going to create from open play without Calvert-Loon, just because I think he does so much good work. But I did say, you know, a, a potential difference maker could be set pieces. Uh, at the time, I think Everton were the second highest uh, in terms of set piece goals, and Wolves uh, are conceded the joint third highest. That's probably they're probably going to be in and around the, the, the most goals from set pieces against now. Um, I turned out to be turned out to be true. Uh, and Wolves now have obviously instead of maybe picking them a point, they've, they've suffered a defeat and they've they've conceded a fair few set piece goals this season. And it's probably no surprise that as a result, you know, they're loitering with Ardy in the table now. Uh, 
14th they are, Josh, which is quite a surprise, isn't it? The 14th and they're now um, something. I know that, that. How many points worse off? Yeah, so the 14th and the like five points worse off than they were last season. So they're they're struggling a little bit, but I don't think they've been playing particularly poorly. I think just you know things like being poor at set pieces does does cost you. Yeah, I think uh, another team you can put in that bracket is probably Leeds and maybe Chelsea to an extent. Certainly last season, just teams that generally perform fairly well, but the results aren't always there because um, they get done from set pieces and. Mm. With football being a low-scoring sport, it becomes a problem. But just a little bit more on what I was mentioning there in terms of if you haven't got the performance side, make sure you've got the set-piece side so you can sneak the odd little results. I think the best example of that, um, although he's maybe not particularly welcome at Cuddersham Park, is uh, Sam Allardyce, probably. Because <laughs> um, he's just been appointed, hasn't he, at, at West Brom. Mm. And if you look at the, the underlying numbers of the season, I know he's only been in charge for a few games, but according to numbers at least, West Brom are comfortably the worst performance side in the league. It's just, you know, by a distance, twice as bad, actually, as the as the second worst. Um, but I thought it was interesting last week, Sam Maladice has already moved to sign Robert Snodgrass, who has a quality delivery on, mm. on the level of, like, Sigurdsson and Digne and Ward-Prowse, arguably, and players like that. So already Sam Alex is kind of identified at West Brom. It's going to be difficult for me to get the performance side out of this team in terms of doing enough each week to win consistently. So we'll focus on keeping clean sheets and our goals will come from making a difference in set pieces. And it wouldn't surprise me if eventually, I still think it'll go down to be honest, but it wouldn't surprise me if eventually, despite the same performance numbers, they start picking up the other results. Sneaking mm. goals from set pieces. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, you. You teetered on a prediction there, Josh. So whilst you may be predicting things at the end of the season, uh, I won't do this to you every time. But just on the back of a, a decent run of form, is there any change to your start of the season prediction of Everton to finish around eighth? I feel like you're. Dying for me to change this. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. If, if if you stick to it, that's fine with me. I uh, I just I just wonder whether it's something that can't might um, <laughs> waver in light of the, the 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 results, or whether you're still uh, you're still insistent to take. I mean, the irony is, me, you, and Chris, one of the one of our older managers at Reach, are in this are in a WhatsApp chat, aren't we? And obviously. I'm a blue, uh, you're a red, Chris is a red. Uh, and you've got Chris, who's convinced Everton are going to win the league this season. Uh, <laughs> so so much so that he's, I think he's put £10 on it, 100 to 1. I think it was £12, actually. Um, there's me who's kind of quietly optimistic of maybe a top four finish, but I'm not buying into the win the league narrative. And then you're kind of keeping it a bit more level-headed. Um <laughs> And I kind of think maybe you're right, but we'll see. Go on. I don't know. It's sticky. I think the, the reason I initially predicted it was because of the goal difference thing. And, you know, Everton were about 20 goals. I think it was worse off at the back end and the front end of the pitch combined than the team that finished eighth. So I, I, I kind of looked at that and thought Everton needs to be at least 20 goals better, you know, defensively and offensively 
combined than they were last season to get in and around what what it needs to be to be eighth because goal difference generally tends to provide a bit of a good insight into that. Everton are currently fifth overall. The team in ninth are only six points behind Everton and that team is Chelsea. And, you know, at at any stage, Chelsea are going a bit of a win streak there. Aston Villa are in eighth, also six points behind, but with two games in hand. So I think it's probably important to say at this point that the table is very congested and uh, you can like I think someone said amazingly that when when by the time Liverpool faced Manchester United on the weekend they could actually be in sixth place mm-hmm. um which sums it up really so it's it's tricky I mean if you look at the goal difference overall Everton Everton's goal difference is around where I expected them to finish um, and the expected goal difference places them about tenth, I think. Um, so I don't get me wrong; I, I want Everton to do well. I genuinely do, um, yeah. and I still think they could. They, 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 they're proven that they don't necessarily need performances to get results. That you know they've proved that across the past six games. But with it being a long season and stuff, I just still think that if Everton finish eighth. That is a great season in com- mm. it, when it comes to, you know, progression. When it comes to moving forward from year to year, because Everton finished, I think it was twelfth last season. Mm. So to finish eighth, you've climbed four places. You've now got a positive goal difference. Whatever next season, go and do it one better by adding to your goal difference further in the transfer market and win a few more games, hopefully, and then you keep mm. climbing like that. But to, to do a climb from twelfth to a top four place over the course of one season. Uh, it, it would be quite a dramatic thing to happen. This season of all season of all seasons, I think it's more possible than normal. But I still think yeah. that if Everton finish eighth, I, I still think that's a, that's something to be happy about. Even though I understand that they're currently in a position whereby you could probably aspire for more now, considering the current position. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's it just feels up in the air a little bit at the minute, but. I'm not convinced to the level that I'd change my prediction or anything like that. Um, just because I expect some form of regression in the next few weeks, but hopefully it doesn't come. But you know, it's just oh yeah, realism is key, mate. And uh, you know, <laughs> we have said in other podcasts we do. It's not all about fandom and uh, yeah. And, you this know, isn't just, a, just, this isn't a results based podcast. I think is is the, the crucial thing. I don't just yeah. want to. Fluctuate my own opinion every week as soon as Everton get a win or as soon as Everton lose. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll probably still ask you next time, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> keep asking me. It might, it might yeah. get to a point where my I, I am convinced. Um, yeah, and I might, I might be more convinced next season when 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 Everton have added a bit more. But that team that Everton has a field against Wolves, even though they won, is a perfect example of. of just how mad the Everton squad is at the minute and how difficult it is for the manager to get consistent results with a group of players like that. Mm, yeah, I agree. Um, let's let's well, leave hang, it there. Hang on, hang on. Hang on. Oh, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm... Be, unbiased. Mainly be, um, no, of course, yeah, objective. objective. <laughs> um, no, I'm of the opinion that... Um, I agree with a lot of you saying, with a lot of what you're saying, to be honest. 
I think because of the points that are on the board already, despite it being congested, I think you know a top six finish can be achieved. Um, but you just got to have a lot of luck. You know, um, I think games getting postponed the way they have is a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow. For example, Villa this weekend, I think that would have been a good game to go into. Um, instead, you're going to have to kind of cram that one in somewhere in between. I suppose a positive is Villa are going to be in the midst of a, a congested schedule themselves. But, um, yeah, I think that's going to that kind of epitomises the stop-start nature we're probably going to see over these next few months, which could well damage things if they're going well. Um, but, as I say, I think the points on the board are really good. Uh, I think there's a confidence in the team that wasn't there previously, especially from home. You know, Everton have picked up the most away wins they have in the last seven years this season. And we're only, you know, we're not even halfway through it yet, which says to me that there's been a change in mentality in the side. And um, I think that's key. You know, I think the psychological psychological aspects are key because suddenly it's not all about uh, winning as many home games as you can and then just picking up the odd points on the road like it's been in seasons gone by. It feels like now every fixture, home or the way, there's there's an opportunity to go and win it, and there's a belief that you can go and win it. So that could be key. I'm gonna I'm gonna see somewhere in the top six. I'm gonna be a bit more bold, but that being said, it wouldn't surprise me if just too many too many um, teams finish strong and Everton had to settle for you know seventh or eighth at the end of the season. Yeah, I just um, I just can't really see yet. Everton finishing above the top seven performing teams in the league. The top seven performing teams in the league are City, Liverpool, Villa, Chelsea, Spurs, United, and Leicester. I can't, I can't see Everton finishing above any of them. Um, some people will be surprised that I've mentioned Villa in there, but I'm impressed with Aston Villa this season. Um, Really impressed, so I'm going to stick with that one. But and even if even if Villa drop out, oh, so so you think you think Everton Villa finish above Everton? Um, very close. <laughs> it's hard to, mm. it's hard to, it's hard really. Uh, and you've got obviously Arsenal there and Southampton there, but they're slightly lower on the performance table. But mm. just just those seven teams give or take Aston Villa. I can't see Everton finishing above this this season yet, just based on what they've got on the squad and stuff. And um, I just think eighth is a is a building block really to something something more. Even though this season is mad enough to think, right, it's worth going for it this season. Like when you're in a position where you may be drawing, maybe this season as opposed to every other season that's gone by, it's worth just kind of going for the win every week, sort of thing. Um, to get those three points because uh, you know if you look at the top of the table Liverpool have drawn up there with the most I think the, yeah, Liverpool have drawn the joint most in the league but find themselves second behind Man United mm. who have lost more games but they've won more games mm. I think Villa, Villa is a good point by the way I do really like Villa uh, they're, they're such a good exciting side I just think what's going to kill them is, is, is having to fit three games in somewhere between now and the end of the season, uh, at least three games, I should say. Um, I think they'll 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 suffer a bit of burnout because of that. Um, but you know, what what a season for them so far. When you consider they stayed up on, on the last day, 
last season. So fair play to them. But um, just, just yeah, let's end the day. Oh, <laughs> well, I've, 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 go on. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I do just, like Villa. Yeah, just an example on what I like about specifically what Villa have done in the transfer market. Specifically, again, in relation to goal difference, they, they've added Emmy Martinez, who will keep an awful lot out at the at the, the back end of the pitch. Matty Cash as well, who's got that about him. And then at the business end of the pitch, they've added Ollie Watkins in comparison to what they had before. Um, Ross Barley, Berson Traore. And again, you've got to consider Matty Cash a little bit, considering what he offers an attack. So I think specifically, rather than adding just rather than just buying players, they've added players that specifically influence the goal just score at one end and the goal just concede at the opposite end. And it's it's clearly done wonders for them this season because they look like a completely different side in comparison to last year. Um, and I think I said to you last last night, didn't I, in the WhatsApp group that I actually checked last week what the odds were on Villa finishing in the top four this season. I don't think it'll happen, but outside chance, you know, the, the current campaign being a bit mental, and it's possible. But I just felt like I needed to give a bit of a nod there towards why I think Villa are that good and why I think they've. The benefits a lot in comparison to what they were doing last season. Mm. Yeah, ones to watch definitely. Uh, Josh, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, no worries, mate. I let you round up properly this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's good as I said because I do think a lot of people are sleeping on Villa, and um, I don't want to keep going on about them because uh, <laughs> we do have to finish at some point. But it's easy to forget that the eighth in the table, but they've got two games in hand at present. You know, and the level on points with with uh, the likes of likes of Southampton. Oh no, the Chelsea level on points with Chelsea. Two games in hand on them, which is quite surprising. So, but yeah, yeah they've, um, been, they've been without Ross Barkley as well for about five games, I think. Now, yeah, and his uh, his output's been insane this season. He's uh, he's been been a great little recruitment, even though a lot of people listening might not like him. Uh, yeah, but thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we won't keep it too long before the next one. Uh, take care in the meantime. Cheers. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.